Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, August the 20th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and continue to connect the dots of the Old Testament to Jesus with Hebrews chapter 9. Today we go back and go back to the old regulations of worship, the holy place, the most holy place, the mercy seat, go down the list. We get a good review of what was in the past, but we get a great sermon of what this is ultimately about, which is Christ Jesus for you. What a joy it will be to have our guest today connecting those dots, and thank you for tuning us in. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy of having with us again Pastor Nabil Neuer of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and also serves as the fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Neuer, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Blessed uh, morning to all of you, precious saints, who you have been baptized and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. It is a privilege, an honor, and a blessing to be with you and to bring to you the life-saving, life-enhancing, life-changing, life-encouraging, and life-sustaining Word of God. Because of Christ, the Word incarnate, we have hope, we have help, and we have the certainty and the guarantee of heaven. Well, thanks be to God for that. And first, before we get into God's word, Pastor, what's going on for you, your beloved family, and the work of the saints at Trinity? Well, the Lord is good to this sinner. I was privileged to host uh, my oldest sister from the old country of Israel, uh, my nephew from the old country as well, as well as my brother and my others, so it's been like a beehive around here, and at Trinity, we have just undertaken a $180,000 project to pave the whole parking lot of Trinity, and that's on the outside, but on the inside, the ministry of proclaiming Christ crucified for you, and the salvation that he provides because he chose you before the foundation of the world. And that's a great perspective, Pastor. We've gone through that too. When you have to repave or you have to redo your parking lot, it can be a process, which is why you always need to be reminded that the reason we're doing this is so that people will hear that proclamation of the gospel and to receive God's gifts. That's hard to do, Um but a reminder to our listeners, whenever a church, uh, we need to highlight what's happening, pray for Trinity in Hartford, South Dakota, as they go through that process and that their eyes, as, Hebrew, as the author of Hebrews tells us, may fix our eyes on Jesus. May that be true for you. Um, any last thoughts before we start studying, Pastor? Well, it's uh, the book of Hebrews, is, uh, what I call the dynamite of the gospel. It is so packed with Old Testament imagery that points us to the true temple, Christ Jesus. And as we dig into chapter 9 today, we see even a better picture of what the author to the Hebrews has given to us. And it's a joy to be able to dig and to swim in the gold mine of God's living 
I think I have to write down these sayings that Pastor gives to us. Dynamite of the gospel and dig and swim in the what of the God's word? How would you say that? I love it. The, the golden uh, nugget of God's word. Oh, boy. There are no wonder, no, no matter which way you turn these words, you see a different glimpse. And as I look back at my life, and I read them before, you know, both in Greek and in Hebrew and in Arabic and in English. Every time I read it, I get something profound. It's like a diamond glistening in the sun. This is what you get when you dig into this place. Well, let's let's begin our time. And can you begin our time in prayer, Pastor? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, even this morning as I used the ministry of Dial of Prayer, I spoke about your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. You have permitted your prophets, your evangelists, your apostles to leave for us a record to tell us of the great story of our salvation, the history of you coming to earth, to making your tent among us. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open our ears and hearts to be attentive to your word, not only for this one hour, but every day to swim in the ocean of God's grace and God's love. These are just words on a page, but through the breathing of the Holy Spirit, they become living instruments in our hearts changing us from sinners to saints and opening our eyes to see you for who you really are, the heaven-sent Messiah who came with the greatest mission to save us from our eternal destiny, to transport us to the heavenly kingdom which you have won through your death and resurrection. We boldly pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Now, here's what I want to do, because uh, I, I mentioned this last week, is that the book of Hebrews is rich. It's almost like trying to um, eat too much cheesecake too quickly. You eat the cheesecake, and you eat it quick, and you don't savor it. You don't uh, meditate on it. You don't let it happen. And so that's why we've broken down today's reading in only 10 verses. So here's what I want to do, pastors. I want to begin just with the first 10, the 10 verses. I'm going to read them all, and then I want to come back and get some of your introductory thoughts to our text today. So our reading today is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, and a reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version. Hebrews 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, 
performing their ritual duties. But in the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, pastors, we hear these words. What what introductory thoughts or themes do you want to highlight for us to start on the right foot this morning? Well, if you go back to the opening chapters of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, there is a crescendo of information. It's almost like stepping up on a ladder to see a view of heaven. Um, the author begins that God at one time spoke to us through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through his son. And then he compares that with all sorts of things, angels and principalities and powers of there's no one like him. The emphasis is the focus is not on the prophets, not on the angels, but on the, the one who chose to take upon himself flesh and blood and literally to dwell among us. He is the temple of God in our place. This is the new covenant that he has given to us so that we might know him intimately, worship him at all times, and grow in his grace as we receive the means of grace. And so, Pastor, as we hear these words, it's going to have a lot of talk of the tabernacle, a lot of talk of what's going on in that tabernacle. And for me, I wanted to highlight this first for our listeners, for you, our listeners, that in our Lutheran Study Bible, there are two pages that I wanted to highlight for everybody. Reminder to everybody that the Lutheran Study Bible is available from Concordia Publishing House. Has It's rich in resources, exactly what Pastor said today, that you are digging and swimming in the golden nuggets of God's Word when you're in the Lutheran Study Bible. But I wanted to reference page 139 in that Bible, which shows you the tabernacle. I'm a, I'm a visual person, um, so that's a great overview of that. And also page 203, which shows us the Ark of the Covenant and does a great job of explaining that as well. For this author, he goes back to show them this tabernacle and the information that is there page 139 and page 203. So, Pastor, any other introductory thoughts you have before we go a few verses at a time? No, I think let's just dig into the Word. I think that would be very beneficial for us to uh, to do so and to gain the insight um, of the author. I personally, of course, I can't confirm this. I personally think it is Paul who wrote it, but that's mm-hmm. another discussion. It's not worth spending a lot of time. But whoever it was that wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was well informed of the Judea um, uh, worship life. He's been in these places. He's been in the tabernacle. He's been in the temple. He's been in the tent. Mm. And he's triumphed, and now he's given to us the opportunity to look at these things from his lenses 
and um, to help us really grasp what is being said of the past and what it is that is uh, being here at this moment. Well, let's dig in. Uh, let's open our Bibles and let's go. Verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. I'll read them again. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Now, Pastor, I think it's important for us to be able to break this down, and I know you, you're you great at breaking everything down, but often we get mixed up, tabernacle, temple, um, table of presence, holy place, first section, second, lampstands, all these things. Pastor, as you hear these first two verses, what is he talking about, and how would you break it down when you teach this? Well, you remember that in the um, early on when the Israelites left Egypt, God commanded them to build the temple. And when he came down and Moses visited with him, you know, we called it the tent of worship, uh, the Lord uh, Shekinah, or his glory, shone upon Moses that when he left the presence of God, literally he had to cover his face. So the brightness of that, mm. that's the place where God meets his people. It's the same things with us today. God meets us at a specific locality, and in that time and presence and space, he gives us his gift, just like he did. Now, the tent was built, but there was a time where God specifically, and you made the highlights of the images we have in the Lutheran study, page 139 and 200+, plus, where those images are concerned. There was the tent of worship, but then later on, God God gave a specific way to build the, uh, the tabernacle. And that was for the holy worship. And it was divided. You have the outer court where the Gentiles would meet. Um, also, then you have the other section where you have the women meet, and then you have the worshipers who are on the throne. But before you get to the Holy of Holies, to the mercy seat, which was only entered once uh, during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And if you read Luke, for example, towards the end, 167 and following, where Zechariah is on duty because only one high priest would enter into that place. He uh, was in that area. And we have that similarly today in our churches as well. Uh, there is a rail in my congregation at Trinity that separates the Holy of Holies from where the people sit. And that is this is why we teach people when we reverence the altar, we are entering into the most holy of holies. And we'll talk about it shortly when we open it up where the curtain has been torn and we are able to come in. But that was supposed to be a separate area. There was a rail inside. And so no one would enter in there except the high priest. Because in that locality, the mercy seat and the presence of God is located. And you dared not to go in until you have atoned for yourself. But now, because of the grace of Jesus, and because the grace of God given to us, 
in Jesus, we are able to enter into the most holy of holies, to receive Christ's gift and to grow through these gifts. So what the author is trying to tell us about this uh, tent and the temple and the tabernacle is this is where you're going to find God. And this is where you will worship God. And this is where you hear the message of God and receive the gift of God. Now, it's interesting that he... Um, that the Lord made a specific place. And one of the arguments you'll hear today um, is, well, I can find God anywhere. For example, I, I don't like to fish necessarily, but I mean, fishing is fun. But people say, well, I find God out in, in, um, in, in the fishing boat. And I, I find it out here. I find it out there. Or even the Israelites could say, well, we, we know God's with us. We're out in the desert. It's no big deal. Why would you, what would you say to someone who talks about that? Why would God give us a tabernacle, a temple? Um, obviously, we have the church today. Why would he do that when we know he's everywhere? What's, why would he do that? Well, God specifically stated this is what he needed. It's not that God can't be with you on the boat. It's obvious that he can because he is not limited to time and space. But he asked you to, do, to be there because that's what he comes to you with his gift. You can be on the boat, but you're not getting the gifts of God. You can be fishing or hunting or skiing, but God is not giving you his gifts. You can talk to him versus him talking to you. And I will draw one thing to our audience. As you know, I grew up in Israel, and many, many times I've gone to Jerusalem, and there's still remaining till today the temple wall, or they call it the wailing wall. Why are the people wailing? Because for the Jewish people, that is the place where God made his presence among them. Now, of course, we know that the temple is no longer there. And we'll talk about that this very shortly here. We went from tent to tabernacle to dwelling uh, among us. And um, John 1.14, right? For the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. The word there, tented or dwelt, is really from the Hebrew, uh, the tabernacle, and we've heard of the Shekinah, the glory. So what you have in John 1.14 is a summation of what the book of Hebrews is telling about this tent and the place where these gifts are. And notice specifically, as you continue to read, what you have over there, the bread of the presence. And what do we confess and teach in our Lutheran theology? That in this uh, bread and in this wine, you truly receive Christ's precious body and Christ, Christ's true blood. This is the real presence. The bread of the presence is found in this locality in the temple because this is where God is and this is where his holiness is revealed and this is where his love is given and this is where his, his mercy is provided. When you come into this place, at this locality, he meets you in time and space, he gives you his gift and he sends you home rejoicing because you have seen Jesus face to face. Now, I want to ask this question because it is can be confusing for our audience and for me also, is we know that there is the outer court 
and then the priest would go into the, the holy place. In there is the bread of the presence, and I can't help but think about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and you think about communion. You think about all of those things and the connections that are there. Well, what do you have insight on what the purpose of the table of the bread of the presence was there at that time? Why did they do that? Well, you remember the bread is to be eaten by the high priest. So it's to sustain the people because they had to change that bread weekly, right? Mm -hmm. And if you remember when David was running away from Saul, he went into the temple, he asked the priest, have you any bread? He said, I have none. All I have is the show bread or that which you see. And he gave it to him, right? And that high priest paid highly for his mm. uh, life for giving that bread to sustain him. The bread is who Christ is. He comes down from heaven. And when you eat of that bread, you will no longer be hungry and you no longer will be thirsty because Christ will satisfy everything. And so when we think of the bread, then why is it there to remind you of every gift God gives you? And realize, what did God give to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness? Manna, right? Mm -hmm. And that manna is the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus talks to that, to the Jews in John chapter 6. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread. It was God who sent the bread. And who sent Jesus, the bread of life, into the world with the same God sent the manna? In the same way, Pastor, and that's a great connection. You're speaking of 1 Samuel chapter 21. Um, when David goes in and eats that bread, like you said, there were definitely consequences for those actions. But then it also highlights the lampstand, which obviously, you know, we had a baptism two weekends ago, and, and it was just wonderful. I baptized twins and just a lovely couple and a big family and a celebration. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world which I can't help but not think about this, and you're speaking that language from John chapter 1 as well, but what was the lampstand there for? Any, any uh, insight on that? Well, of course. You remember, and we, we do that even today in our churches, the lampstand to reflect the presence of God in that locality. And what do we do, dear brother? You're a pastor. What do your acolytes do? The first thing when we begin our worship uh, thing, right? What do we do? We light the we, candles light the candles and we go through um, instructing the kids and adults why we do it and where do we do it we do it from the side of the church facing the congregation and we go right next from the cross we go out and then we do the opposite side what's the idea you have seen the light spread out going into the world the light of christ john 8 12 right jesus says i am the light of the world but if you go to um, uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, the Lord says you are salt and you are light. It doesn't say you will be salt, you will be light. He says you are salt and you are light. And let your light so shine before men that they may glorify who? Your heavenly Father. The idea of the light is to disperse the message outside the hallowed ways. And I don't know if you practice this in your congregation. I do at mine is that when the um, candles are extinguished, the, the candle hours are extinguished, we extinguish all of them, except the last one, then we take the acolyte lighter itself, 
and we take the light from the altar and we go out into the sacred space. And the idea is now the light has been passed from the altar to the saints, and as they go into this dark world, they will share the hope of glory with all people. So uh, going back to summarize all that I have said uh, so quickly here. Number one, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. When he had the lamp stands in there, that is to show this is where he is located, this is what he's found. And when you leave the place, you take this light with you because you have received the gift. You heard the word, you received forgiveness, you received mercy, you received grace. Now you go out and you become, as Luther calls us, little Christ to the world, and we share the hope with others about who Jesus is, because we still are in a dark world that is feeding down toward hell, and God uses us so that we might bring the message of reconciliation, the message, the message of hope, the message of peace, the message of forgiveness to those who have not seen the light of the gospel. So one of the great insights you gave to us today is I envision this, that the priests go in to this the holy place, right? So they, they've had the outer court, the priests go in, and right there, they cannot help but see the connections to Jesus. So Jesus is speaking. They cannot help and say, wow, there's some bread over there. Wow, there's a candelabra over there with seven on there. And, and for us, we're able to see it from a different perspective. We're able to see like, wow, that just all points to Jesus as he spoke, as he lived, who he was, and obviously his death and resurrection. I mean, the right when you walk in, and we're not even into the most holy place yet, but there it is. You see Christ all over the place. Any last thoughts? Uh, about a minute before our break. Any last thoughts on that? Absolutely. The whole idea of Jesus being the tent, the temple, and now where does he dwell? He dwells in our hearts, right? Um, the book of Acts tells us. He, he is in our heart. That's also... First Corinthians, he dwells in our heart. As you come into this most sacred place, you realize you are walking on holy ground. And this is really what you're having right here. Your direction is not on the minister, but on the one who came to minister to you. And we'll get back around the corner on the other side. We'll talk about Matthew 20, 28. We'll continue with that section. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 9 with Pastor Nabil Neuer, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And 
welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 9 with Pastor Nabil Neuer of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. Now, Pastor, I've heard this quote before, is uh, that the Old Testament is, uh, when we are in Christ, the Old Testament is a New Testament revealed. And I think it can't be any more true today that we are reading Hebrews where we're going to the, the back, you know, we're going back to the Old Testament, but then somehow it reveals the New Testament. So, like, if you just read Hebrews on its own, you would be like, okay, all right, da, 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 da. But then you go back, and everything gets more and more revealed. Any thoughts on that quote? Yeah, I, I was privileged to sit at the feet of Dr. Horace Hummel, who coined these words, the Old Testament concealed, the New Testament revealed. In order for us to really understand the New Testament, we have to look at it through the lens of the Old Testament. And I actually, uh, just as of late, maybe the last year or so, I don't really call it the Old Testament. I call it the First Testament Mm -hmm. rather than the Old because it sounds like it's archaic or something like that. But um, truly, in order for us to comprehend what is being said, and I was telling my wife that this morning, and she said, what are you going to be teaching about? I said, you know, we're going to be teaching about the temple, and, you know, to connect that with the holy place. Remember what did Jesus shared with the Jewish leaders, you know, um, because if you will go to Jerusalem again, the temple that has been destroyed took... um, um, Herod, 46 years to build, and it's magnificent. And I've seen a replica of what it looked like. Literally, when the sun shines on it, you cannot cannot keep your eyes on the holy tabernacle. But, you know, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And I'm, I'm just awestruck when I think of that. They had eyes, but they could not see. They had ears, but they could not hear. They could not see that the temple was standing right in front of them. Mm. And they mocked him. They blasphemed against him. Ultimately, they put him to death. They didn't see him. And I don't know if you remember when I opened the prayer, I said, Oh, Lord, open now my heart to hear, not my ears. I can hear with my ears, but because the Jewish people think of the heart as the central and focal point of everything that you are, it is the heart that needs to be attentive. You know, this is why the Psalter talks about, give me a hearing heart, that's the Hebrew idiom, but it really means so that my heart may grasp what it is that you're trying to share with me. And, what I said earlier on the other side of the hour, I said, you know, we got to look at Matthew twenty twenty eight. what he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you enter that sacred and holy place, you are entering into the presence where God is. And I love Dr. Nagel, who is sainted now. He used to say, in this house, we say to God what he has said to us. I can't say it any better. 
I'm just repeating what God said to me. Absolutely. And that's the joy of being in this most holy tabernacle, in this most blessed place to see Jesus face to face and to receive from his hands those life-giving gifts of body and blood. And what adds, what even adds more joy to me now is this. You remember, we talked about Luke 1, 67 and following, where uh, Zacharias went into the temple. And um, maybe you, you know this, and maybe our audience know this, but let me just repeat. The high priest, when he went in, they would put a rope around him, which is kind of similar to what we do right now with the sink tour, with the, the, you know, the green or the white that we put around us to hold our stall. But that was used for the high priest when he went in. Had he gone in and there was some sin on him that God did not accept, he would have been struck dead, okay? Mm -hmm. And then they would pull him out because they could not go into the place. But then what happened on um, Easter Sunday, uh, Good Friday, uh, at the earthquake, uh, we were told the temple, um, the tent of the temple was torn from top to bottom. On the temple were the cosmos, the whole world, everything that you could see, the stars, the planets, and all of those were on that. And then it was torn, and that now allows us to enter into the most holy place. No longer do we have the do we need the high priest because Jesus is our high priest. No longer do we have to come in through calves or lambs or anything because he is the lamb who shed his blood. The symbolism that we have through the ripping of the tent, and I read someplace that tent was about six inches thick. Mm. It would have taken a multitude of horses to rip it apart, but it didn't rip from the bottom. It ripped, it ripped from the top to the bottom, and this is what Isaiah Oh God, rend the heavens and come down and by Lord, he does, doesn't he? He rends the heaven and comes down as a little baby to grow up to be the Messiah, the messengers of the messenger of hope to give us life and salvation. What a what a picture. And as we look at that picture, it gets even more revealed, as you said, Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed in the next few verses when it talks about that most holy place. I mean, you, you talk about the, 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 the curtain being cut, you know, um, ripped, I should say, in, in, on Good Friday. Well, what was behind there and what does that mean for us today? So verses three through five, we'll read these verses. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So right there this is the picture that we're speaking about in page 203 of the lutheran study bible and and this was an important place uh like you said yom kippur uh it could get confusing as far as what was in the holy of holies you've talked about luke chapter one um there's a lot of stories that connect with this how would you break this down and someone said pastor what was in the holy of holies 
the holy the holy of holies uh, number one it had the cherubim which stood you know quite large and uh, had the fingers from one place to the next you had the mercy seat you have the staff you have the manna and uh, uh, interestingly enough you have the staff that is budded okay and all of these things to remind you again they, these are but a type of what is yet to come. So when we go into the presence of the temple, we see Christ. And on account of Christ, we receive mercy from God. He is our staff and rod, Psalm 23. He is our man. And he is the one who calls us to bud and to flourish uh, because of what he has done for us. I have no idea what is it going to look like in the glories of heaven. It's just, you know, my mind I cannot comprehend the wisdom of God. But all of the things that you see on page 203 is to remind you right behind all of these things stands the one true God who in love disperses to you mercy, who in his infinite wisdom forgives your sins, and who feeds you for the journey of life. And he gives you the light of hope, and then he reminds you that you, through the basin of the water of the washed, you will receive your gift of baptism that calls you to eternity with him. That is the joy of knowing who this God is. He's not aloof. He's the God who shows up. And in all of these things, you will notice that God is at work in your life and in mine. And so I cannot wait for the opportunity to be in the Lord's house because there I see him. I touch him. I smell him. I taste him. I digest him, and then I go out rejoicing. You think of Acts chapter 8, the eunuch. After he was baptized, we were told, he went on his way rejoicing. And so when I leave the Lord's tabernacle, having seen his mercy, having received his gift, my heart is dancing to overflowing, and I rejoice and give thanks. Now, pastors, as we look at those verses, it's definitely a very sacred place. Um, it, it has gold everywhere. Um, the golden urn holding the manna, the staff that was budded. And so there's there's one, there's two things that strike me. It's first of all, the sacredness that's there. They didn't kind of just haphazardly put this thing together. It was the presence of God. In the same way, it shows us, like you said, that this shows us that God is at work as he was in the past. Because in this, um, in this Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ten Commandments. Um, you had uh, manna that sustained the people. You had Aaron's rod from Numbers chapter 17. All of these are symbols of God delivering his people. It's a, quite a visual to be able to envision, to remind us that God is at work. When you look at that, you have cherubim, you have the gold, you have the mercy seat. Any, anything else you want to highlight in the Holy of Holies and what this means for us today? 
Absolutely, and I think you caught this very, very well, dear brother, is, is the fact that behind all of this, there is someone who is articulating everything to remind you of who you are and who he is. We cannot overlook this one fact. God is the author of our salvation. Jesus is the agent of our salvation and the Holy Spirit is the administrator of our salvation. So when you think of the agency and the authority and the administration work that's being done, with these images that you see, you are to, to, to be reminded again of all that God has done to show his mighty power to bring about deliverance, not the temporary, like from cancer, not temporary from pain, but the eternal deliverance, and we call it the gift of salvation. And if you do further study on these things, all of the salvation activity that were brought to the forefront, they were always done early in the morning. Remember Resurrection Sunday, mm -hmm. while it was still dark. Uh, excuse me, Exodus 14, 13. Moses says to the people, behold uh, salvation. In other words, he says, behold Yeshua. Everything is done in the morning. Salvation is being done. So and we have worship in the morning to remind us again who is behind all of these activities and what it is. But God is at work through all of these images to remind you this is the one who was behind the scene, directing every step, every movement to bring you to the promised land. And as we enter the sacred house of God, the most noble place to meet our Savior, it is in that place that you and I are the recipient of such wonderful and great good news. We continue to move forward as it, so that's what we see. Now we get a little more of an understanding of what happened um, when they would do the sacrifices, what the high priest would do. So we'll just read verses 6 and 7 as we slowly move forward. And as we're experiencing today, Pastor Newer just peels back and reveals the gospel to us in wonderful ways. Verses 6 and 7. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. I wanted to stop there just to make sure we have our terms right. What was the process? What was the procedure of what happened in the holy place and the holy of holies? Well, for one thing, before you entered into the most sacred place, you had to go through the ritual of the washing. Then you had to put the high priest outfit on. Then you had to slaughter the lamb. Uh, it had to be without any defect. And then you could go in and sprinkle the blood for your sins. And of course, you can find all of those in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, what you had to do. And then you are able to enter to the most holy place. Earlier, um, I believe it was maybe on Tuesday that you led and you talked about um, 
Melchizedek, right? Mm-hmm. Melech, in the Hebrew we would say Melech Tzedek. Melech is king, Tzedek, righteousness or holiness. And remember, Abraham offered to Melech Tzedek, Melchizedek in the English, tenth of everything. But he came out of nowhere and entered into time and space. He always shows up. And we have the same things right here. Our our high priest, Jesus Christ, enters not by the blood of lambs and goats, we are told, but by his own blood once for all, so that those who believe in him may receive all of the blessings. This is why now the curtain has been removed. No more sacrifices, but the reception of the gift offered to us. And so we look at this, there's an obvious order of how they followed. And I wanted to ask this because it is interesting. When you look at what they did, he would make a sacrifice for himself. Okay. And this goes into the language where it said that, you know, the high priest had to make a sacrifice for himself, but Jesus did not because he's Jesus. He's God. He doesn't, that's why he's the final high priest. It's a wonderful connection. But then it says the unintentional sins of the people. That could get confusing because, right, wait, does that relate to us today? How does that fit in the Old Testament and for us today? The unintentional sins of the people, how would you describe that? Well, you know, there are those uh, sins of omission and sins of commission, correct? Mm -hmm. Those that we willfully engage in, okay? But sometimes we sin unintentionally without knowing. Example. You know, I drive my pickup and my RV, and though I have big um, um, mirrors where I could see, sometimes I don't see everything. So I begin to turn to the left, and there's someone there who's I'm pushing in further. To, that's unintentional. I did not do it specifically, okay? And so this is just a sample. But unintentional things are when we do things without really realizing we are sinning. Nonetheless, they are still sin. Because sin, any kind of sin, really separates you from the love of God and the grace of God. So he's not taking any chances here. And how often, how many times does Luther say, pray for those things that you know and those that you do not know? Because we are all sinners. We all sin, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you look at Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a righteous man who does what is good all the time. So all of us are sinners. And sometimes we sin intentionally. Sometimes we think of evil thoughts. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And sometimes we really think of these things. Other times we do it not malicious, not vindictive, but nonetheless we sin. This is kind of what he's intending to for us to understand that. And so as we hear that, let's continue to move forward because it is, it's a wonderful order that is shown. And like you said here with unintentional sins, it's not like, okay, there are unintentional sins. Now I got to think about my unintentional sins and it's going to be different than my intentional sins as far as when it comes to forgiveness. But it does point us to the all-encompassing grace of our Lord Jesus and how he operates. So let's continue 8 and we'll go till the end um, verse 10. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places 
is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, Pastor, one of the battles I had when choosing these verses is that you almost stop on the cliff in verse 10. And clearly tomorrow, as we study, uh, excuse me, not, not, not tomorrow, on Monday, when we study the rest of this chapter, it will be revealed. But I also wanted to make sure we had a full understanding of what happened in the Old Testament. But how could we not yet then go back to God? So it says here, by the Holy Spirit, that so these holy places is not yet open. I mean, it kind of leaves us a little bit like, what does it mean it's not yet open? Any thoughts on verse 8? Yeah, remember, he's speaking to the Jewish people. Now, we do know that the book of Hebrews was written in the late 60s, early 70s, okay? And some of the people are still living in the past. They want to go through the rituals of doing all of these things. Because you have to pay attention closely what it says in verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered and notice what it says right here, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Mm -hmm. All of these external things that we do cannot appease or remove the sin of man. Only the high priest, the Lamb of God, is the only one who does this. And so, for those who still hold to the old ways, to the first tabernacle, okay, do not see that the veil has been ripped. They are the ones who are living in this portion of life where they're trying to atone for themselves by these sacrifices. And we can give all the sacrifices we want. Even today, you know, we'll be saying, okay, I'm going to give, um, I'll use this as an example since we just went through our construction of the congregation, of the paving, um, the yard. If I'm going to give $20,000 to help with the cost of the concrete that was purchased to pay for this. And we think, okay, I'm doing these things now that there should be some kind of favor from God towards me. Uh -uh. All the stuff that we are going to offer to God cannot perfect the conscience, okay? Only what Christ has done. Yesterday in my Bible study, excuse me, um, Sunday uh, for my Bible study, I was teaching about God bottled salt. I said, have you guys ever heard this before? Mm -hmm. No, I said, it's in the Bible. Where? First um, John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our righteousness. So God bottled salt washes us clean. This is why that curtain that has been ripped allows us to enter to the sacred place of God where he gives to us his gift because of his son who shed his blood for us. And so as we hear this, it says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. What does it mean by conscience? Any insight to that? Well, sure. How many of us and I, I just talked about it, the example of giving the $20,000 to pay for the concrete. 
our conscience bothers us, right? And so we begin to say, what can I do to appease God? That's, look at Luther. This is kind of what drove him into the, um, to become a monk. His conscience got the best of him. He prayed, uh, uh, Saint Anne, Saint Anne, save me and I will become a monk. He was trying to sacrifice and give his life as, you know, to appease his conscience. His conscience was troubled, but he wasn't freed until he really read John 8, 31. And that's why he changed his name from Luder, L-U-D-D-E-R, to Luther, because he took it from the Greek, Eleutherion, which means freedom. If the son sets you free, you are free. He tried to do everything. He tried to kill himself to atone, but that cannot perfect the conscience. Only one, the Hebrews 13, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, we are told. There's only one who can, can perfect our faith, that is Jesus Christ. And when you look at this, you can do everything you want to appease your conscience, but it does you no good until you are in the presence of Christ. As we look at this text today, here's here's how I would break break it down. Mm-hmm. I want to hear your thoughts before we close our time in only a few minutes. Is you have the outer court, and this is, like I said, very well um, diagrammed on page 139 of the Lutheran Study Bible. You go in the outer court. And then, and then you have uh, the bronze altar. You have all of that before you even get to the tent. And then the priests just don't like, okay, I'm going in the tent now. They have to have a ritual washing. They have to put on the right outfit. They have to make the sacrifice of a perfect lamb. All of this, a sprinkling of blood before they even get in. Once they get in, there it is, the, the bread of the, the presence. They see the lamb stand. They see other sacrifices. And then there's only one guy that actually can go into that mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. All of that was intricately written in Leviticus. All of these rules, all these rules, all these rules. And it can get overwhelming with all of those rules. And here this author is saying, there's one way, and that's through Christ. And he's just peeling back this whole time, showing us all these regulations, all of these symbols, all of these places. It gives us Christ. Pastor, how would you summarize this chapter? Those are my thoughts, and I, I love how you un- unpack it too. So about a minute minute left, how would you unpack uh, this whole thing? Uh, I'm going to say what my professor, uh, Paul Schreiber, used to teach us. Uh, you want to understand the Old Testament, look at Jesus. <laughs> and let me, with the minute we have left, let me kind of summarize this by another uh, Old Testament prophet, the prophet Jeremiah from chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their sins, their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. You, you tie all of this to 
to the different covenant that we were talking about in the opening section. And the temple that comes to us is Jesus Christ. Jesus stands in front of you as the merciful and compassionate Lord. He is the one who opens his hands that are pierced and says, here are my gifts. I love you. I died for you. I rose again. You don't have to give me anything. I have given you everything that I have, my whole body, my whole blood for you to atone for you. I am God's gift to you. And all of the externals that you think you need to do will not do anything for you. You worship me, you receive all of the blessings. You worship me, you will see God's mercy. You worship me and fear me. God will welcome you into his bosom, love you, care for you, and graciously receive you without any blemish or any mark. You shall be called God's dear child for time and for eternity. Pastor Nabil Noor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, connecting us to Christ from Hebrews chapter 9. Pastor Noor, thank you again for being our guest. Thank you, and God will just bless and be with you. Saints of our Lord, the regulations of old, the tent, the holy place, the blood, the ark, the day of atonement, all of us gives a glimpse of the depth of God's love that we see in the final sacrifice by the high priest, our Lord Jesus, who makes you holy. Today, we, we dug and we swam in the golden nuggets of God's word and what a joy it was. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hand.